Okay, welcome, beloved, for the uh, second lecture on the book, um, Strange New World. The pastor sort of opened, gave us an overview of what we'll be learning in this. It's, it's a wonderful book in that it opens your eyes and helps you understand how the cultural shift, as radical as it may be, uh, there's some thinking behind that and some reasoning for that. Now, we say that because we're not just in competition to them. We're thinking in terms of how we could evangelize them, how we could minister to those folks, or how you could approach them uh, as family, friends, in the workplace. Um, So he does a really great job at uh, sort of giving uh, an overview. And there's some depth in it because there's a lot of research in that. But each one of the men have captured one particular uh, topic, and we've kind of unpacked that. And mine tonight is the authority of self. Uh, Our brothers are passing out the handout. There's a little handout outline. Uh, that comes with this. If you want to follow along, it's fine. So while we're doing that, turn your Bibles to um, Matthew, the 24th chapter. Matthew, the 24th chapter. And we're going to start in verse 3 in just a moment. And so we have been sort of tested by this sort of radical thinking and ideology that's brought into this culture today. It used to be okay to disagree with someone. You have this idea, you have that idea. Um, And whether it's religious or political, it didn't really matter. Today, if we don't agree with them, all of a sudden it's a hate crime or they are worse than that. Some people are being uh, prosecuted in court for some of these things. But So it's really a very polarizing sort of a world we live in. And uh, this sort of radical left-wing kind of philosophy is really disheartening for Christians. Now, so I I wanted to be able to talk about the authority of self, but I also don't really want to lose the opportunity for you to take something away from this, personally. Uh, If there is ever any one particular uh, secret or underlying motive working power against the Christian life. It's this issue of the authority of self. And I want to kind of unpack some of these things. So I'm I'm doing this in four parts. I'm giving you a little intro, which is a little bit longer than usual. Uh, I'm talking about the cultural history of that that he brings out in the book. And then the biblical reality. We're going to cover some scripture to help you understand that. And then uh, I'm going to leave you some practical theology. That's the way it's outlined, and then we'll be out of here. I don't want to keep you more than 8 o'clock. I know I can finish this by 8, but let me just say, one thing you got to remember what happened. Remember, um, see, this was strategic because I'm teaching here on 9-11. That's kind of scary because anything could happen again in 9-11, right? So that, that's, that's interesting. The other thing is when I was teaching once before, if you remember, I moved, when I moved here from Kansas City in Kansas, they said, you know, because Kansas, we're generators, we have everything we need because there's tornadoes are just common. Oh, we don't have tornadoes in Lynchburg. There were like 20 phones going off the last time I taught up here. And uh, 100 yards behind us, the tornado was moving down Timberlake Road. So uh, if your phones go off, you know to take shelter. Don't just stop. We'll just go and take shelter. Don't know what to expect. But it is really neat to be able to talk to you a little bit about something I'm so passionate about, which is really the authority of self. And I think there's nothing more plaguing to a Christian that robs the peace 
than a person given to self. We're going to talk more a little bit about that. And this strange new world book, uh, he talks about this particular shift. I know Pastor did a little overview. We step on each other in some of these areas, uh, but really um, want to target in before we leave here. Want to target on something here. How does this affect me personally? I said, Haggai, uh, chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. We're going to get to Matthew in a minute. He says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, I will shake heaven and earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, which is Jesus. In other words, the greatest harvest of souls is coming soon. I'm really thinking that. I think this is setting us up. I realize that the big sexual revolution, 70s and 80s, you know, the pop psychology moved in. They're like, oh, Jesus is coming back. But I really think that this is a radical thing that really, really goes against the norm. And I really believe it's a setup for them to turn against Christians in this time. And so the, the nations will be shaken. As we're kind of living in the perfect storm, if you will. And I really would like to see, um, see something really happen. I'd like to see the church really come alive as far as their preparation walking worthy of your call. I'd like to see the church fight against this authority of self in their own heart, to, to be radical about your, your obedience and your love for God in these days, instead of just sort of being presumptuous and reckless. Uh, we, we tend to do that, and I think this is a great time that the sort of the preconditioning message that Jesus left in Matthew 24. Take a look at with me. Starting in verse 3, he says, As he sat at the Mount of Olives, Disciples came to him privately, telling him, Tell us, when will all these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumor of wars. See that none of, none of you are alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pangs. And then verse 9 he says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Really? It's happening. And many false prophets will rise and lead and uh, lead astray, many astray. In verse 12, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world, whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. I really believe that Jesus identifies on these 22 signs he's talking about here. And this is not an end times message. I'm just setting this up saying, I think it's a lot more sober minded. It makes you much more sober minded. I think it's a much more serious topic. than sometimes we give it credit to do this. I realize in counseling, this is an underlying big problem. It got us into sin and it's hard to get us out of sin. Because of this, this idea of befriending self our own self. I'll talk more about that. And so I think that these signs accelerate the same time and God's people need to know about that. I think it's good to be reminded once in a while. 
that, uh, that this is a serious business in the church, that we don't really have a lot of allies, and we can call the different denominations, we can think we have sister churches, but the truth is, we really have to be able to look to one another, look to God's word um, for all these things. And so, two things are going to happen tonight, I'm going to talk about two major things as we're talking, unpacking this issue of the authority of self, I think you really need to remember and some things you need to avoid. So the issue is self and truth. The self and truth. And the most popular these seems, this seems to be me is, is this issue of these bad doctrines on self. Now I want you to, you can make a few notes if you want, but I want you to pretty much pay attention because where we need to end up is an examination of our own life. Most helpful. How do we get here? What happened? We'll unpack that in a minute, but I can tell you some of these popular themes or doctrines, I call them in psychology today, which is self-image, self-esteem, self-worth, self-love. Uh, we've tried to Christianize some of that stuff that's not even mentioned in the Scripture or that God even tells us to avoid. And I think in this culture we're shifting the internal authority to self. Well, we're going to unpack that a little bit. But also we're going to talk about the absence of morals. And somebody else will sort of unpack that. But everything of this whole key thing centers around a man-centered theology. Just remember that. Everything is about you. Everything is about me. Anything's about man. If it's all centered around what I think, how I feel, that's a man-centered theology and it's dangerous. And it doesn't partner with the Spirit of God who lives in you. Some people try to do that. I'll take a little of me, a little self, a little God, and together, you know, I'm using my intellect. He gave me this intellect, but the inner man is functioning much different. Try to remember that some of the terms we use for this is something like the inner man. It's the, um, it's the life force within us. It really is the, um, the human side of your life. I call it the deep state of your thinking. So what you think and feel and how you process things, how you learn, articulate what you know, what you believe, encapsulated by the worldview that you live under, which is shaped by whether I came out of public school or home school. All this shapes us. And either we develop rights along the way or we learn to completely trust the Word of God. I love our pastor and our, our elders in this church because they are unified around one thing, Jesus Christ and Him alone. And I think uh, it, you're, you're safe under that kind of teaching. But the, but the world doesn't do that. Before, it was like, you're okay to be religious. It's fine. That's all right if you came from the Baptist church. That's fine. But today, everything is so tense. And the shift of their authority has really made a big difference. And so I think that we're going to see a man-centered theology when we start searching. Even the 430-some models of counseling... Um, particularly have a man-centered theology, bad therapy, bad doctrine. And the late TV preacher, I don't know if you remember Robert Schuller. I hope none of you remember him. <laughs> he, had, he was the big self-esteem proponent, if you remember right. He said it's the new gospel in the country in this century. The new gospel. That unbiblical idea resonated with a lot of the culture today, too. People bought into it and said, yes, it's a kinder gospel. Pastor Jeff talked about it today. It's an offensive gospel that works. 
that we're offended. People are offended by it because it requires them to be totally devoted to God, to abandon themselves and follow the Lord. That repentance, the gospel of repentance, is not um, very well received. But notice this, the Apostle Paul, even though Robert Schuller said that, the Apostle Paul, he reminded us that it would be a curse if we have another gospel. See, going back to a simple biblical theology keeps us focused. The minute we move away from that, we start doing what we think. We start doing what we feel. Later, James Dobson, the pop psychology guy, and he was a fellow Nazarene of mine, friend, not a friend, but a colleague, if you will. Um, he, said that, he said this one time years ago. The health of an entire society depends on the ease with which its individual members can gain personal acceptance. Personal worth is not something humans are free to take or leave. We must have it. And when it is unattainable, everybody suffers. I I think the suffering part is when we're not saved, when the gospel is the key focus. No, our self-worth and self-acceptance to them in pop psychology is number one. Now, think about this. This is trickled down through the toxins of bad theology, and we're breathing that day to day. At school, at work, every time you turn on the TV, every commercial, we are breathing that theology, bringing it to church, trying to make it work. Trying to make it work, and we're preaching against that. You go home and try to make it work in your everyday life. It's uh, not good. It's not good. So, one, we have an awareness in the culture, how it shifts and how it thinks. But number two, we need to look where we have partnered with. Maybe sometimes it's secret, passive, um, and our ideologies, our thinking, our worldview is more approachable to self as well. And so, Dr. Dobson, later on, which I really appreciate, yeah, later he came, remember he had a Bible show for us, he left the focus on the family, then he had a Bible show, and he, later on, he admitted. He said, you know, I think we were wrong. I mean, it's pretty documented, a lot of biblical counselors use it. He said, I think I was wrong. He says, those years that we focused on self-esteem trying to help children, we should have been focusing on, concentrating on self-control as the number one need in raising our children. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And so the second thing on your paper there is the cultural intuition. We're going to talk about the historical stage of that. Where do we come from? How did this come out? How does it come about? And then I'm going to come into the backside of this thing and talk about what are some things you need to evaluate and think about. I want you to get the most out of this. I just want it to be a lesson of some intellectual exercise. I really want to be able to use this in a, an opportunity for you to kind of sort out some of the things that you're most sensitive about, most self-centered about, uh, where it has creeped into your life and some of these things that you've embraced in these ideas that hopefully can help you. If I had to give a thesis statements from the strange new world on the authority of self, I would say this. This would be my sort of summarized statement. Our society believes that the greatest authority anyone has in his or her life, I would say themselves, and that is the only real higher power that anyone must submit to is how they feel. Man, it sounds so shallow, but it's so real. How do you feel about that? What you feel like is the authority. That's the big shift. That would be like, that's the statement, now let's prove it. 
And that's really true. It's all about self. So we're losing objective truth, if you want to know the truth. It's not the norm today. Say, oh, yeah, no, let me show you the Bible, what the Bible says about that. I mean, it's not even debatable. Let me tell you what, what I think I'm saying. And especially people who are continuous who are thinking God is constantly giving them revelation. No, God told me this. God told me that. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling that. And this is where the danger comes in. And the culture jumped on it and owned it. So the opposing objective truth, the rule of law, objective truth, now even literal sex and gender issues are nebulous to them. They don't even think, oh, no, 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 no. It's whatever you think. The authority is wherever you think or feel. That's what is true. All this is part of a demonic preconditioning, if you want to know the truth, in a psychologized world. Now, that's my opinion. You can, take, you can be mad at me about that. I believe it's a demonic use of an idea to affect the church of Jesus Christ and to try to debunk the truth of God's word. That's what I think. And so this, this world that's upside down, it wanted to combat all this objective truth in your life. And I think it's really a problem because of that. Now, this is, what the, this is what the guy, this Truman's trying to unpack. And he gave it a, kind of a broad stroke of this. We never really unpacked some of these things. I think even what uh, we talked about in our planning meeting, uh, where Clay was even saying, you know, this is, it's weak in its application. So we're expanding this a couple more things to maybe put some um, thought to the application of some of this stuff. How we can get the most out of this. To understand it, we see it and we say, yep, I get it and go home. We're done. No, we're not done. There's plenty of other work to do. So today we're talking in terms of this minimized doctrine that's not taught in the church much. In fact, I don't even know a lot of resources that unpack the doctrine of self very well. Self-confrontation does it in Lessons 9 and 10. I couldn't believe it when I read it when I first went through that book you know, 10, 20 years ago. I don't know how long it was, at least 20 years. And I couldn't believe that somebody actually could articulate and outline the doctrine of self so clear. Devotions and homework and an example, some practicum, beautiful. But it's true. It's so minimized in the church today. They don't want to talk about it. Most, most pastors in the church today are not talking about it. So you better, you're blessed to have our pastor for sure. So in the wider social imagery of this culture, this decisive authority has been granted to inner feelings. Just remember that. It's the inner feelings that has the power and authority in a person's life. So if you feel like you're this gender, fine. I was talking to a counselor in um, New York when I was in a conference there. And he's in um, New England. All the churches around him are flying rainbow flags except for his, his church. So it tells you the culture there. But he said in the, in the public schools they had to accommodate a young girl in eighth grade that came dressed like a cat. And she had all dressed up like a cat, and she insisted to the, the, the authority there that she was a cat. And because they had to give in to this inner authority, well, is that what you think and feel? Yes, I know I'm a cat. And so she's meowing, and she's going through all the different motions. They literally gave her a large cat box, and they literally gave her bowls to eat out of her food out of on the floor like a cat. I thought he was kidding. I said, come on, please tell me you're kidding. No. 
Then another guy in Upper New York was at the meeting. He said, yeah, they did an art. Here's what somebody else identified with, and they're giving into it. Now, some of these kids are playing them, but the culture is like, oh, we can't because that's, that's truth. If they feel like a cat, then they are a cat. Just bizarre. Bizarre. The culture has made that official. And so the conduit to bring that idea into our life as a psychologized thinking, a secular humanism packaged together as a conduit to bring us that ideology inside your home, to your children, on the TV consistently. And we're buying it, and it's scary. It really is scary. They use another term called expressive individualism. Let me see if I know how to do this. Here we go. There it is. It holds that each person has unique core of feelings and intuition that should unfold and be expressed if individuality is to be realized. It's a normative modern notion of selfhood. Selfhood. Wow. Now, this came from somewhere, and we're still sort of unpacking that, but basically where he's saying it came from was these philosophers. I think Pastor covered some of them, but just in general, uh, this French philosopher in the 17th century, he came up with this idea. He was famous for, I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. Classic secular humanism. And delusional, by the way. What I think, I am. Another one, an 18th century Genevan philosopher, he says the same, something similar, these two ideas. He located the identity of the inner psychological life of the individual. He said, see those inner feelings, those inner thoughts are unique to you. Because what he, what he didn't understand is the human heart is reverberating what it wants. James 1 says the same thing. He says, your heart desires. It's not a, that, that's a continuous thing. It's reverberating, I want, I want, I want. And your heart is reverberating what it wants. And that heart desire, those inner feelings, that inner man, sometimes we call it the flesh, but it's the operating system of the old man that's left in you. And so this guy said, he identified it. He said, this is it. Individuals have this inner voice and inner life. Oh, wow, so profound. It's been in the Bible. Number two, he saw society or culture as exerting a corrupting influence of self. Exerting a corrupting, this is a quote out of the book, classic Freudianism. So basically he's saying that we're imposing something on someone and that's against, that's a cardinal, that's a mortal sin to the cultural people. Mortal sin. You do not impose your ideas on anyone else. There is no objective truth. Whatever you think is truth. Again, given into self, consumed with self. That's why they're so opposed to the law. That's why they don't like the Ten Commandments. They don't like the Bible. They don't like the Constitution. You know why they don't like the Constitution? It's too objective. They don't like the Constitution. And so later, the Romanticists, from Romanticism in that era, they said they granted the authority of inner psychological space or feelings, which they saw as inherently true and only corrupted by the influence of society. <laughs> yeah, so, so their new norm is, listen, you just vacillate throughout life, trusting your heart. Now, listen, just think about this. Sometimes we say this. Sometimes we say, just follow your heart. 
Hallmark? Really? Just follow your heart? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm like trying to, how do I break my TV? I don't want to, really? Just follow your heart. Yeah, that's, that's sort of what they're saying. That's sort of what they're saying. They're saying that anything in society is corrupting because it's enforcing an idea on them and trying to structure this. It's too objective. And you re- disregard instinct, which they highly regard. Instinct. That inner voice of nature. As a possessing significant authority. Wow. Wow. And so... I would use the word, just using their terminology, gender dysphoria is a break in reality. Driven by psychosis, I've only used their terms. They should be able to understand that. A delusion that shifted from reality to desires of the heart rather than the law of God and understand that as the social norms of life. There's something really sobering, peaceful. There's something that's stable about understanding the law of God. I know this because in DSM-3, sort of when I broke into business, the DSM-3, they used to treat people who thought there was no real objective truth all the time. They did shock treatments. They chemically lobotomized people, try to solve that problem, all in the name of self-worth at that time. It's really upside down. You've got to be really careful. It's been around forever. You just have... This, God is allowing this moment in time for you to think through these issues and embrace them in preparation for his coming. It's not a magic trick. We trust the word of God through this whole process. And so simply acknowledging the inner dimension that there's this human selfhood, that there's this human perspective of life, of course there is, is not the same thing as authorizing it to have decisive role in your identity. Self-esteem and self-love, self-worth, self-image. They're not as harmless as you think. It's in a lot of our curriculum. It's in a lot of our reading. It's implied in a lot of our conversations. We think that we can, you know, positive think our children through their bad behaviors and their rebellion when really there's a, the Bible says you spare the rod, you spoil the child. When the Bible's very keen on discipline, um, and so we have to be careful that we're training. We're not just trying to, you know, reason with people who are in sin and people who have the wrong view, a wrong anthropology. If you think your children are just victims of this world, you're already defeated in your parenting. You can't call yourself a biblical parent. You have to be careful. It's not as harmless as you think. So Christians, beware. Beware of that. There's over 32,000 inspired scriptures. And nowhere does it talk to us and press us in, even imply that we have to have self-worth, self-esteem, self-love, self-worth. We, there's nothing in there that talks about that. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. I call it the biblical reality on your paper. We're going to go through a couple of them together. And... Um, so scripture teaches us that we can't trust ourselves, basically, is the point. Uh, we know that in 2 Timothy 3, and if you don't have a view of the word, you should have under all the teaching here. You have all the teaching you've been under here, and everywhere you go, you're hearing the Bible. I remember when I was in Kansas City before I left, I was, I was evangelizing this couple from another church, and they weren't really going to church that much. They were in and they were out. And I said, 
let me call your pastor, get permission for you to come to my church, and you can be involved in the teaching. They're teaching what I'm helping you understand, so then you can do your, get your family back on order. Yeah, okay, we'll do it. Pastor said, oh, yeah, who are they? And he didn't even know them. He said, okay. So they started coming to our church, and he's trying to connect to a Sunday school class. His name was Tom, and he was just roaming around in, this, in the class, back and forth in the church. I'm, I'm teaching a class in a room, and I could see him going by the window constantly back and forth. So I took a break, and I gave him something to do, and I went out, and I called him and said, Tom, what are you doing? He goes, Mark, you're not going to believe this. I said, well, you've got to be in your class. He's like, because we're doing the fundamentals of the faith class. He's like, he goes, I've tried three or four classes, and I, everywhere I go, they're teaching the Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. I said, Tom, that's what this is about. It is? I said, yeah, it's all about the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. So I led him back over there. Today, they're like leaders in that church. Today, she's... Both of them, a really great family. They've had more children. They're blessed. They're rolling. They're, they're, he's memorized the whole book of uh, Philippians, I think, by now. But it is about the Scripture. Look what he says in this. It is about, it's not about you and I. So, again, we had talked about that selfhood. Look at Proverbs 3 here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We know this one. Do not lean on your own understanding. That's offensive to somebody with radical thinking. What? Do not lean on your own understanding? But I, I, I felt this. I saw this. I, I, it was in me. No. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. One lady in the church helped another lady reconnect to the church right here in TBC. Her testimony in family life was this family had been missing, and she saw her at the grocery store and said, and she's, oh, how you been? And they started talking and everything. She said, you know, I mean, I just, I'm just not connecting with the church. And she gave about four or five reasons why she's not connecting very well. And in a very loving way, the sister said, I think I know what the problem is. She said, what? She goes, you think church is about you. And church is really about God. And she almost started weeping right there at Walmart. And the lady came back. And she's like, wow, that was something I was missing. You see, it seems so fundamental, doesn't it? But it's all about self. And it's implied definitely right there. I put it in the ESV here in Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. What? I thought being right with man is my authority. What do you mean? I think, I think, I feel this is what I want. No. It's going to end in destruction in your life. He's got more. He says in Luke 9, and he said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, I want them to love themselves. Take up the cross. No, he didn't say that, did he? Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. See what's implied there? Very offensive to those who love self. Very offensive. So Colossians says it this way. See, it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to what? Human tradition. And you can unpack that in a lot of different directions. According to the elemental spirits of the world, that's the spirit of the world. Let me say about the spirit of self, that's the spirit of the world, not according to Christ. Very offensive. I put this in the, our own vernacular in the NLT. Don't let anyone capture you, with, capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. Sometimes you have to have these secret handshakes and you have to talk all this terminology you don't understand, but you have to have a PhD from the higher liar somewhere, and all of a sudden you got this new verbiage and you think that you're smarter than everybody. But it's all high-sounding nonsense if you're going to compare it to the Scripture. 
That comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Pretty clear, very clear in understanding. Self, loving self, authority of self, making self the number one thing is dangerous and it's really offensive to God. 2 Corinthians 5, my very favorite one. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Jesus Christ. Therefore, all have died. Not everybody died. We're not universalists. All those who belong to him have died. And he died for all those. That those who, might, who live might no longer, I, I highlighted here, live for themselves. That's the denying of self. That's the dying of self. That's rejecting the power of self over the power of the word of God. Now, we, you hear this all the time in our church. We're constantly going over and over and over this. It's, it has some real implications for our own personal life. But for him who was for their sake was raised... Those who are really regenerate, those who really belong, who've had a born-again experience, continue drop living for themselves and move to in that turning. I used to believe this, now I'm believing this. And they're turning following Jesus Christ. It's not a concept. It's a reality of the new birth. It's a reality. Dying for self. That's what we would talk about. We have more time to unpack that. We don't. But I remember reading the book when I first became a certified counselor. It was a mandatory reading in college, and his name is Paul Vitz, V-I-T-Z. He's a former Catholic priest before he was saved, and he wrote a book called Psychology as Religion, The Cult of Self-Worship. Really amazing book. It was written real, real well, and he had to have pretty good vocabulary. I read it like three times and looked up a lot of things in it. But Vitz points out that the glorification of self is opposed to the Christian injunction to lose oneself. Let me say it again. This says that the glorification of self is opposed to the Christian injunction to lose oneself. Jesus neither lived for nor advocated the life that would qualify by today's standard as self-actualized. And for Christians, self is the problem and not the potential paradise, end quote. Self is the problem at one level. You've got that operating system in you. What are you listening to? What are you submitting to? How much does that have influence over you? How much does that shape your opinions? How much does that try to control you? Where's the battle and the turmoil going on? The main theme of the scripture is self-denial. Not self-esteem. That's a worldly principle. And it's hurtful. If it worked and it was biblical, I would, I would say go for it. But the Lord knew that he'd be in competition with the God of self. I call it the deity of self. Once you've been given over to it, like people who are habituated in substance abuse and porn and other things that are just so habituated to, they just, I just can't, I'm trying. I want a method. Give me a method to get out of this. You know, I want... A step one, two, three, I want 10 steps, 12 steps. It takes death. You got to die to yourself. Yeah, a lot of people don't do that. Is it easy for you to sin? And self is in control of something. That's the point. The Apostle Paul even said in 1 Corinthians, there are 13 places he used the word wisdom, just the first two chapters. Where's the, where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's your philosopher? 
Has not God made foolish things of this world? Do we, however, speak the message of wisdom? But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom. Why are we surprised the experts in this world can't be trusted over Scripture? Why do we have to continue to repeat that process over and over again? Why don't we come back to the very fundamental that, that this is the enemy in our camp, loving ourselves, giving in to ourselves? You got into your problems through self. Because Jesus already overcame the world. He defeated the devil. But he left an operating system. You see Romans 7. You see he left an operating system there. And there's a struggle. And because of our depravity and because of our understanding of true biblical anthropology, we don't trust ourselves. So I'm just hearing from God. There's three voices. You know, the devil and the world have a voice. Self has a voice. And then the voice of the Holy Spirit. You got two-thirds chance of getting it wrong listening to yourself. Not good. Let's look at some practical theology things that we got time on. Take a look at some of these things. Some of the greatest benefits. Uh, we need to shift from a natural authorization of human feelings. You should not trust your feelings. I don't know how many times I've heard our pastors preach that and teach that. But you can't trust what you think and feel. It should be taken captive and thought about and compared to Scripture and decide, are you going to reject it or are you going to embrace it? Is it Scripture or is it not? And this is a normal routine and a discipline of born-again Christians. And then you won't have so much inner conflict. And so let me talk about that inner conflict just um, quickly. Let me just cover the first one first. Look at this one. Number one, the professing Christian should be aware of his own psychologized worldview. So we need to sort of clean up home camp before we start looking at the liberals. We need to start realizing that I say, I will never do that. You're not going to get me to do this. You're not going to get me to do that. I won't do that now that this person's in charge. I'm not doing that anymore. Well, now that he came, I, no, I'm not going to do this. Really? It sounds to me like something internal, something immaterial is in control of something. So you're not thinking in terms of who you're going to serve or your sacrificial love for the saints. You've already made some decisions. So this sort of the deep state, the secret covert sort of passions that are going inside you are dictating what you will and won't do. Just You should be evaluating yourself. And we use different kinds of terminology, passive-aggressive, not in the Scripture. Mental health terminology, not in the Scripture. We use biblical words to describe spiritual truth, 1 Corinthians 2.13. So not using biblical language may not be a bad motive, but it's certainly a bad habit, for sure. Number two, the professing Christian must be careful to direct their instructions, counsel, and discipline with an authoritative view of God's Word. I know you have an intellectual view of God's Word, but it does have authority. Authority in your family's life, authority in your children's training, authority in your own holiness and your own walk. Does it have authority? That's the number one thing we're thinking. Or is it just intellectual? Because we're going to use it like a magic trick. The more scripture I got, the more God owes me. And we just, yeah, I'm doing, I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. But yet self has been manipulating all along. Be careful with that. Be careful. When I said counsel, I'm saying, I'm thinking Psalms 1-1. There's two counsels. There's a counsel of the wicked. And there's a counsel of the word. So who's shaping your worldview? Who's giving you 
counsel off the cuff on the outside. Some of you, oh, these are my good friends. Really? Really good friends. Mm -hmm. 1 Peter 3.15, we have to be kind and loving. We need to tell them the truth. There's a difference. What about truth? I say teach it, trust it, but don't try to tame it. It is what it is. Just obey it, and it will bring great blessings to you. Number three, the professing Christian should recognize the reality of human depravity. Get your anthropology right. Quit treating your children as little victims. Then you're afraid to spank, you're afraid to correct. And, oh, I don't want to hurt their son. I don't want to mar their psyche. <laughs> well, I oh, I don't believe that. Well, but you function like that. You function like that. Very scary. These are souls that God has entrusted to you. Use the word of God. Make it shape you first. Then help shape them with it. It doesn't fail. Well, that, that mark doesn't, it doesn't work on this kid. Yes, it does. It works because God says it works. So think about that. Think about depravity. Make sure that you have good anthropology. People aren't born good and then corrupt. People are born bad. Bad. You should approach difficult people. When you get into a debate about some of these things, you know, I don't try to debate the label. I don't try to do that. I really try to find a place to give them the gospel. I want to talk about what the gospel did for them, how it freed them. If you can't find a significant difference from the old mark into the new mark, if there's not a demarcation line, where's the old and the new, where you can say, wow, that's old mark behavior. Oh, this is new mark behavior. If you don't know that, if it's too milky, you're in danger. You're in danger. Go back to the gospel. Check it out. Work it out. Live it out. That's not something you do and leave and go do something else to be strong. The gospel you live out every day. Every day. Victims, you can help with the gospel. I guarantee it. Um, when it comes to helping them see their victimization is still siding with self. Number four, the professing Christian must recognize his or her role in challenging family and friends to lead lives of obedience to God rather than just submitting to your feelings. Is that going to help you obey God? If it doesn't, because the thing is, what you think and feel on your own independently is not an ally to help you in your sanctification, help you in your walk with Christ. Even your personality is not designed to be an ally for you to help you become more spiritual. Your personality was assigned to the first flesh, the first birth, and it's, it's loyal to your flesh. So therefore, you need to fight against your personality, your, your giftedness and your personality, because it won't help you get to where you need to be. Most of the time, I have to go against my personality to obey God, whether it be passive or playful or, you know, I'm just, I'm just an intellect or I'm just a... I don't know. You, you need to understand that that first, that first life, your, your first birth, according to John 3, gave you your personality. And the Spirit of God helps you tame that, for sure. It helps you tame that. Number five, most of our bad theology. I don't know if I'm caught up here. Maybe I'm not. Whoa, I'm way behind. Most of our bad theology and unbiblical worldviews are fundamentally learned through our relationships. Don't blame your DNA. Don't blame all your parents for that. Some of that stuff, yes, 
But the new birth trumps anything that you are in your DNA. It, it, it trumps anything that you did in your, in your behavior and your training. My parents were not Christians, but they understood submission to authority very clear. And even the nuns who spanked me understood that. Somebody taught them. I don't know who taught them. But we're in a different world where we don't want to hurt anybody's psyche. Yeah. Be patient with people. Speak the truth to them. Let God work and the Word of God work in your life. Number six, trying to, I want to get all this in. And when you're confronted with a psychologized response, when you're having a debate or when when you're talking together, I'm talking about conversation, you should lovingly redirect them back to the truth of God's Word. Let God's Word do the work. This is what I submit to. This is what has helped me. This is what God has done for me. And here's what he says. I know what you're thinking and feeling, but this is what God says. Has power. Has authority. It'll do what it's supposed to do. It'll do more than you can reason. For sure. You're not tasked to convince people to believe the scripture. That's God's job. That's why we're in a lot of turmoil. We're trying to make people Christian. We're trying to make a point. I just share a point, and I wait for what the Lord is doing in that life. And if you're modeling Christianity in front of them and that peace that comes, that surpasses understanding, you're going to have a lot of opportunities. Number seven, you're on the front lines of winning hearts and souls, maybe, these wicked days. Pray for them more. Pray more. Target somebody you have a relationship. Pray for them. I know sometimes we forget that. We make a method out of everything. Sometimes we forget we need to pray more. Prayer changes things because God is praying. He wants to hear your Faithful prayers and model biblical Christianity to them. It's amazing because it helps in the conflict, internal conflict. Let me give you a quick lesson that I have in five minutes. The internal conflict that you have, this rub between what your heart wants and what reality gives it. I expected this, and then boom, my spouse did that, or my... My child died or this happened or I lost my job. What the heart expected is colliding with real reality somewhere. And because you're not positioned, because that, that actually stimulated all the rights that you have, that you've been developing. Well, I have a right to be loved. I have a right to be respected. I have a right for this. I have a right to be a pastor. I have a right for everything. I have a right. And when your rights are just so strong, you're going to be very offended. And the turmoil, the inner turmoil is strong. The world calls that mental health, mental issues. Peace of God is when you're just following wherever the Lord is going and you take that and you take that captive what's happening. Understand that God is doing something bigger than your pain in this moment. And that internal internal conflict is where there's no peace in the church. You might have it all together. You've got a great bank account. Everything's going good, but you may not have the peace inside that you are really looking for. And to minimize that personal trauma, I would just say this to you. I don't know if I put this in here, but it might have. I'll close with this. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. Get out of the way of what God is doing. What's in the way? Self. God wants to do a wonderful work. He's got something doing. He's working this out. The sanctification is sometimes difficult. Suffering and, ch- and change and, and trials and tribulations are all part of the master plan, and you're trying to sort out because this is, doesn't feel good. 
ouch. Get over yourself. Get out of the way. Just repent. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. And you'll get the grace you need. Self is real. And let me just read this to you in the two minutes. Don't try to write this down. Just here's some thoughts I put down on. I've interviewed. I looked at several different uh, people who wrote on some of these things. And here's some ideas, including the scripture. Here's a, Just listen to it and let it resonate in your heart. Self is our default spirit in the absence of God. That's the, assault, that's the default authority. You will answer to yourself whether God is not in, where you're not considering the Lord, self will make that decision. It'll, it'll help feed your passion. Self always wants its way in your life. And the, the tagline is, what's good for me? Self never an ally in the Spirit of God. Self never willingly submits to God. That's a Romans 8 thing. It cannot be Christianized. Now, that kills some of the psychology's doctrines of self. You can't Christianize secular humanism. Self thinks itself as deity and requires worship. It acts as our master in the absence of God, for sure. Self has a voice through opinions in our mind, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. Self has a voice through our opinions in our mind. Self will give you permission to do sin that God has completely said no. And when you go for it, you just sin against God. It's unbelief. Self became your deity. Listen, this is all important stuff. Lord's coming back. And just because you have a good doctrine of eternal security doesn't mean you're part of that going home. That, that <laughs> yeah, that, that uh, being caught up in the air. Yeah, you shouldn't live that way. I know it's true, but listen to me. You shouldn't be presumptuous about that. If you're giving in to sin all the time, then you have to wonder if the Spirit of God has any authority in your life. Self works at the greatest capacity when you give it a place in your thoughts and internal conversations, apart from the Scripture. Self hates God, competes with the Spirit of God. Self will allow limited reformation, but will never submit to transformation on its own. Grace is required. Self covertly operates with its own trinity. Me, myself, and I. You know what self is? Self is you. Self is me. We need to submit to God. We need to continually die to self. Everything we do in the Christian walk, Lord, am I, am I in charge of myself? Constantly sensitive to, to, to say, God, it's me. I'm the boogeyman. I'm the one that's guilty. You're doing something bigger than you. And like the lady shared with the other one, it's not about you. It's about God. Amen? Father, thank you for our friends. Thank you for your word. Help us take to heart this important thought about self. Thank you for my brother who wrote the book. Help us understand that this was an ongoing development all the way back from the 16th, 17th century. An idea that secular people, the natural man, would just embrace. They would just embrace because they have no way to submit to the Spirit. Help us. Thank you for the gospel message this morning. And may this produce some fruit that would bring you glory. And all of God's people said, amen. You're dismissed.